So as food is being digested on days that we're eating those healthy salads, the salmon, the healthier foods, when the breakdown products of those foods are being digested, the breakdown products are healthy for our body. And they form things called short-chain fatty acids, which are very positive in the gut. But if we just only subsist on, you know, corn chips and fast foods, the breakdown products are actually negative and more toxic to the gut. It can lead to conditions such as leaky gut over time, as well as inflammation in the gut. And this is when you start to see either new onset of mental health symptoms, um, if someone is prone to anxiety or mood disorder, or you see a worsening of symptoms, as I've seen, you know, with some of my patients. Dr. Uma Naidu works in nutritional psychiatry, and she's found that the right foods can calm our anxious minds. This is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. I'm Liz Earle, and I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Well, anxiety is the most commonly diagnosed mental health condition in the world. And there's a good chance the food that we're eating is only exacerbating the problem. Have you noticed any difference over the festive season? A bit more sugar than usual, perhaps? A bit more alcohol? Do you feel better or worse after eating certain foods? I know that for me, carbs, well, they don't improve my mood, that's for sure. Well, Dr. Uma is somewhat of a triple threat. She's a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a professional chef, and a trained nutrition therapist. And she's combined all these skills when she founded the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the United States. Now, Uma has presented groundbreaking research about the ways anxiety is rooted in our gut, our metabolism, and our immune system in her latest book, Calm Your Mind with Food. So what is the latest science on the connection between diet and anxiety? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Well, welcome back, Dr. Uma. It's such a pleasure. We had such a great chat on a previous episode, so I'm absolutely thrilled that you're able to join us again today. Now, you've spent years diagnosing anxiety in others as a psychiatrist, but was there a moment that you first felt and understood it for yourself? The first moment um, I've had a few experiences with it 
And the first time was when uh, when I was surprisingly diagnosed with cancer. I went from finding the diagnosis to treatment in such a short time. And I found myself with unbounded anxiety just because I was facing chemotherapy and understood the side effects of the medications. And I understood as well in that moment that I had to make a decision, either a change in mindset, a change in what I was doing in order to help myself. And the choice I made, Liz, was to really change my mindset and really believe in the positive outcomes of whatever was going to happen. And also really lean into my diet and do better, just, you know, tweak things that I was doing, improve upon that as, you know, any one of us might. And that made a massive difference to how I was able to handle treatment, side effects, was able to manage anxiety without needing to take an additional medication, you know, chemotherapy, you're taking so many things, you don't want to have to consider one more. And I, I really saw the power of nutritional psychiatry myself and it unexpectedly became the blueprint of what I do today. And interesting that you pick on food as a way to ease your anxiety. I think a lot of us, you know, when we think about food and anxiety, we kind of think of the opposite. We think about comfort eating <laughs> and weight that's, gain. That's right. And, and... <laughs> that's right. Because, and, it, and it's so true because, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about it is when we turned to food for that comfort. It's often discomfort to the brain because let's face it, Liz, we're not reaching out for broccoli. You know, it's usually uh, no, something less sure. healthy. <laughs> Corn chips, yeah. <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So, so, yeah, and I think that understanding that uh, food can be a powerful tool that you can use is just hopefully going to be helpful for people to know and to try. I guess it makes sense, you know, if, if food can be a bad influence that the that the... The opposite must be true, that there are foods that can be good influences. And I remember reading that you noticed that your anxiety at the time seemed to lead to stubborn weight gain. Yes. What did you spot at the time? And, and what do you now understand to be the science behind that? You know, the uh, the sort of anxious mind leads to making less good food choices, but the anxious mind also leads to changes in how our cortisol is, is reacting because that is a, the stress hormone, how our hypothalamic pituitary axis, our HPA axis is acting, and it, it's all tied in. And with one thing linked to the other, when you are just, your body is driven by anxiety, you might be even trying to eat healthier. You might not necessarily be eating corn chips all the time, but the body responds by trying to protect you and holds on to more weight when you're stressed and that anxious. That's fascinating. It's really a you know response that goes back to historic times. But the way to think about it is, we almost have to unpack that anxiety. We need to step back from it. We need to find a kind of a solution that kind of cuts through it. And that doesn't always have to be medication. Mm. You know, it can be, uh, you know, can be just changing your lifestyle factors. Interesting that hormones there have such powerful role with weight loss and weight gain and that stress, even if we're eating well, can lead to weight gain right. and presumably then being calm and happy and joyful, does that help stimulate weight loss? 
I do feel that, um, for example, when we exercise, you know, we release endorphins in the brain and we just generally feel good. You may not be looking forward to your workout, but if you haven't noticed at the end of the workout, you're actually yeah. feeling your mood is up, <laughs> sure. you're feeling better, right? Yeah. So there's a definite way in which I feel that that would be true. We know more about is the science behind metabolism and different hormones in the body, satiety, and anxiety. So what we tried to do in the book is really link this up for people so that we know weight gain and weight loss is is also related to other conditions in mental health. It may not just be the side effect of medication. It could actually be the condition that's then changing your cortisol response in your body. And then how do we think about changing this back over time to feeling less anxious Mm. and feeling better overall? Really interesting and and such an interesting extra dimension rather than just sort of, you know, counting calories or fat grams or, or whatever. Correct. How then is anxiety entangled with the gut microbiome? You know, we talk a lot about the gut brain axis. Yes. Why is a healthy brain so reliant on a healthy gut? This, you know, stems from the fact that the gut brain connection and the gut brain axis are so intricately related to one of the mechanisms that we understand to be that food mood connection and therefore an anxiety connection as well. The gut and brain originate from the exact same cells in the human embryo. Really? They do, from the exact same cells in the human embryo. And then they divide apart to form these two organ systems, which we know are far apart in the body. But they remain connected throughout our lives by the 10th cranial nerve called the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is very powerful. It not only wanders to many parts of the body, but it acts as a two-way bi-directional text messaging system between these two organs. And what these organ systems are messaging about actually, you know, neurotransmitters. Then you you start to understand and fill in some facts that, that, you know, 90 to 95% of serotonin receptors and serotonin is made in the gut. And you realize that where the food is being digested is also where the little serotonin factories are happening. And it's all kind of in that same area. So, When we think about it logically, you know, how can one thing not impact the other? Mm. And we start to fill in the gaps. So as food is being digested on days that we're eating those healthy salads, the salmon, the healthier foods, uh, whatever, you know, maybe for someone else it's tofu or tempeh, when the breakdown products of those foods are being digested, the breakdown products are healthy for our body. They are rich in fiber, rich in antioxidants, rich in healthy fats, and they form things called short-chain fatty acids, which are very positive in the gut. But if we just only subsist on, you know, corn chips and fast foods, the breakdown products are actually negative and more toxic to the gut. They start to damage the single cell lining of the gut and they um, lead to conditions such as leaky gut over time, as well as inflammation in the gut. And this is when you start to see either new onset of mental health symptoms, um, if someone is prone to anxiety or mood disorder, or you see a worsening of symptoms, as I've seen, you know, with some of my patients who had a massive uptick in anxiety and couldn't really, you know, relate the reason to anything that they had changed. But in fact, it ended up being dietary changes. Isn't that fascinating? And I love the fact that you are a clinical psychiatrist, but focusing on what's happening in the gut to actually diagnose things like anxiety and depression 
Can we talk about tryptophan? Because this is a nutrient that I hear quite a lot about and and having a role to play potentially here. Yes. So tryptophan um, is found in foods like chickpeas and turkey. And generally, we have to obtain tryptophan through our dietary sources because it's not one of those substances that the body can make. And the body relies on gut bacteria to metabolize tryptophan from the food that we eat, creating a variety of metabolites and then signaling a vast complicated set of processes that then lead to things like the production of serotonin in both the gut as well as elsewhere. So this becomes really important to fill in the gap with foods that are tryptophan rich in our body because we now understand that you know it's not as though we can we can make tryptophan on our own interesting and i know that we find tryptophan in things like chickpeas and turkey you know are you saying that you know helping with anxiety could be something as straightforward as having a, a turkey and hummus salad it could be as simple as adding these ingredients in a consistent <laughs> way uh to to mm-hmm. how we are handling the rest of our lives now you know, we, we want to share that this is a food you can start to include in your diet and eat it consistently, especially if you like these, um, because they will help, in fact, with the this production mechanism. But remember, it's a marathon and not a sprint, and that it is something that we want to incorporate in moderation in our diet. Um, these are healthy foods that we want people to be eating. So it's uh, it's definitely something I would encourage people to start to add in if they if they don't have it in their diet already. Interesting. And people with anxiety or, or low serotonin levels, is tryptophan a safe and advisable supplement to maybe take on a daily basis? Because I mean, let's face it, we're not likely to eat a turkey and hummus salad every day. Every day. Um, this is a good point. You know, in countries like Canada, tryptophan is regulated and you need a prescription. So it's not something I just want people to turn to without discussing it with their provider, their GP, and getting more information based on their own condition. And part of that, Liz, is because our gut microbiome is so unique to every one of us that we want to make sure that your response to tryptophan might be different to mine. And therefore, we want to make sure that our GP or provider is involved in this discussion. Okay, but surely if it's found in food, it's going to be relatively safe. I mean, can we overdose on it? Well, with things like tryptophan, you do have to be a little bit careful. And you're right, when food, we're unlikely to overdose on eating a a lot of chickpeas. (laughs) But in a supplement, usually the form and the dose is more concentrated, right? Mm. That's why you're taking a tiny pill compared to a bowl of chickpeas. So that's why you want to be a little bit cautious. And remember, these are precursors to you know, neurotransmitters, which are pretty significant acting in the brain. So you just want to be a bit cautious about it. All I'm saying is, you know, make sure your doctor knows um, if you want to take the supplement and they can advise you better. Okay, great. You talk about neurotransmitters there and GABA, G-A-B-A, that's another neurotransmitter yeah. that we do hear a lot about. And I mean, I've even seen GABA drinks now being marketed. So you can literally sort of drink, <laughs> right. drink GABA. Uh, can, yeah. you, can you chat us through what GABA is and, and whether it's useful and whether, you know, whether we should be turning to like GABA drinks? Right. So GABA is, uh, is a neurotransmitter that is gamma amino butyric acid. It's so important in regulating brain function and imbalances in neurotransmitter levels 
a key factor in several mental health conditions, including things like both anxiety as well as depression. Now, our gut bacteria have a key role in producing these neurotransmitters. And as the gut bacteria break down or metabolize the food, they create substances called metabolites, and these influence the neurotransmitter production. So it's in general, I think some some good guidelines for us, for us to have uh, that you know it's never a perfect diet, right? I talk about a, one of the pillars in nutritional psychiatry being the eighty twenty rule, and what I mean by that is eighty percent of the time you're trying to consume those healthy foods, which are going to help you know the production of things like GABA and serotonin and what we need to keep our neurotransmitters in our brain and body sound. And twenty percent of the time, you know, there may be that bag of corn chips. But I think for the most part, if we're working toward a healthier uh, whole foods diet and fewer processed foods, then we are headed in the right direction. And would you suggest a GABA drink? I mean, I've heard that you can have it instead of alcohol and it'll give you a similar effect in terms of relaxation. You know, I, I'm less familiar with the beverage industry around GABA drinks because what the thing that I would caution people about is if they're producing a synthetic version of this, it is still, you know, a neurotransmitter. So I, I am sure that they go through some regulatory process. I just don't know enough about the beverage and the impact to, to comment. So sometimes, you know, um, sometimes these, and, and certainly in the United States, I can say that the supplement industry is not FDA regulated, you know, so I would say there's no harm in trying it, you need but you do careful. need to be careful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember I had um, Professor David Nutt on mm-hmm. the podcast, I think a couple of years ago. I think he was involved in, in some GABA drinks and, and GABA research. Oh, wow. So definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Yeah. Something else that I've been keeping an eye on, actually, and I've been noticing it more and more as a word uh, cropping up on my Instagram for my, my endless guilty pleasure of scrolling <laughs> is uh, leptin and leptin response. And I know you write about that a lot in in the book as well. That's fascinating, isn't it, when it comes to anxiety, but also appetite control. Can we talk through what leptin is and and what it's doing? Yes. So leptin is a hormone that helps tell us that we've eaten enough and that we are satiated when we've had a meal. It's key to regulating basically food intake and appetite. And so one of the things that can happen to people if they're eating a, you know, less healthy diet, let's say, is that they may develop leptin resistance. And that means that you're signaling from leptin to say, you know, hey, Liz, you've had enough tonight for dinner. We can put down the knife and fork and have a glass of water and, you know, maybe a piece of fruit. But instead, what happens is suddenly you want that second plate of food uh, or you want more snacks or something to fill in because you're just not satiated with that, uh, the dinner plate that you would normally have. And that's usually something to pay attention to because if it happens over time and it's become now consistent, you may actually have developed leptin resistance. So that's also something that, you know, impacts our metabolism, Interesting. you know, could place us at risk for really developing other medical conditions. So we just we, we just want to keep a check on, on those mm. things. That's very interesting, isn't it? And I think that whole sort of leptin response is something that we can notice in ourselves if we 
have a delicious dinner or whatever and then we think oh I need some more or maybe we're with somebody you know maybe our other half or some other family member is always the one that's going back for seconds and thirds that could be an indication that there's a leptin response issue it could be if it's consistently and they've started to say gain weight it's it's going to be a, a, a few different things right it's not just sometimes you just have someone who likes to eat more food and Frankly, they look okay. They they are fit. They're exercising. Yeah. We all have at least one friend or family member like that who, you know, you wonder how they're able to do it and look so great. That annoying uh, friend. And, and, yes. yes, and all feel so good. <laughs> but, but, you know, so it's a conglomeration of more than that, right? It's noticing that change in pattern. Like, oh, you know, ordinarily I would have this amount for dinner. Now I need twice the amount. Or I need three more snacks after dinner. Um, also weight gain, you know, um, you, you, you might be noticing this more sluggishness. You may just not be feeling yourself. So these are, these are times that, you know, you want to, um, find, in other words, if you have gained weight, it's, it's one of the things that you want to explore to find out what's going on. It could be many different things, but it's a signal. It's a signal. Interesting. Is it a kind of chicken or egg situation here? You know, is bad food, I, I use the word bad in inverted commas, causing anxiety? And I guess conversely, does good food improve mental health? I mean, perhaps it's a question of, of both. So I think that's a great question. I do feel that when I evaluate people, one of the things I want them to do is cut back on the foods that are not helping them. So the less healthy options, maybe it's, you know, several glasses of diet soda or maybe it's several soda, cool drinks on their own, or energy drinks. Maybe it's that they are, have a have a promotion at work, as happened with one of my patients, and became so busy and traveling that she began to eat more fast food, which was not usually what her diet consisted of. So those types of foods with the wrong types of fats, like trans fats and hydrogenated fats, the fried foods, fast foods, fast foods use more economical types of cooking oil, which are pro-inflammatory. So we want to be careful of that. And then they also, fast foods don't contain, you know, they're mostly highly processed, so they're not the healthiest ingredients for our body or our brain. Artificial sweeteners is another big category. For the most part, the older sweeteners are problematic. Some of the newer ones have, have better evidence behind them. But that those are some of the categories that we want to be careful of. But the big one, certainly in the United States, is the processed, ultra-processed foods that are really uh, unhealthy for us. I love the fact that you, you pick up on artificial sweeteners and, and diet drinks. I mean, I have been anti anything, you know, quote, diet related for the best part of 30 years. Now, I won't have any diet drinks in the house. If anybody mm. kind of brings them in, I'll, I'll say that's great. That's going to make a very good loo cleaner, but it's not going into my body or into anywhere <laughs> near any right. m- member of my family right. or person that I love. Actually, they make a very, very effective, you know, lavatory cleaner. It's, it's, <laughs> but, you know, it's highly, <laughs> if you ever get something in the house, you know, there is a use for it, you know, There's drain a cleaner. <laughs> Why are you as a psychiatrist so anti-diet drinks? What's happening there in the body? So, you know, the diet sodas uh, contain artificial sweeteners that almost trick the body. They are hyper-sweet, right? If you have a teaspoon of sugar and if you look at a little packet of artificial sweetener, you know, it's a little bit of powder versus a teaspoon of sugar, two teaspoons of cane sugar, table sugar. And that is because it's really concentrated 
And so you have something uh, with artificial sweetener and you actually end up over time gaining weight because these are non-nutritive sweeteners. They start to tap into cravings. The compounds are powerful activators of and, and are sweet taste receptors in the tongue and gut you know, are waiting for, they're there to kind of respond to when we're eating food. And when these receptors are activated by tasting, say, a diet soda, the receptors signal the body that sugar is coming, right? What happens is when the body knows that sugar is coming, it removes sugar out of the bloodstream. And what happens is you then experience a sugar crash because no food follows, right? You have the diet soda, no food is following. You end up, you know, with some hypoglycemia and it ends up that people then consume more food because it has this reaction in the body. And it's just important for us to understand that there are these different mechanisms by which it doesn't help us. But the other thing is that they are disruptive to the gut. And so the gut microbes are affected. There have definitely been studies that showed that there's more weight gain with uh, some of these non-nutritive or artificial sweeteners and that they set up set up these cravings and, and that, that type of stuff. So it's just something to be cautious about. If you look at the marketing of these substances, there'll be a lot of research that says they help you lose weight and uh, et cetera. But I think as the science evolves, we now know more about these substances than we did before. Mm, I remember seeing a book years ago all about artificial sweeteners and, and the damage in the brain. So it'd be interesting to pick up with you as a psychiatrist on this. And they were talking about something called excitotoxins mm. in the brain mm-hmm. and artificial sweeteners triggering these is that a thing? I, I haven't actually heard that term excitotoxins now for many years. I mean, do they exist? And is is there a brain connection as, as well as something that's going on with the, the blood sugar response? Yeah, you know, yes, I think it was research done in the past. I'm not familiar with the most updated research. I think that, they, you know, they're considered to be a class of chemicals, usually amino acids that overstimulate neuron receptors. You know, I think that excitotoxins in your food, you just want to be cautious about it. They are basically chemical food additives and they they are considered things like uh, aspartame and things like that, that overstimulate neurons in the brain. And, you know, when these neurons are overstimulated, they quickly become exhausted and may die. So oh my gosh. <laughs> what the theory behind it was, was that excitotoxins actually alter brain chemistry. So, you know, I'd I'd love to look at the most recent research mm. on that to comment more fully. Mm-hmm. But that that was the theory that was, you know, kind of shared yeah. Uh, yeah. at that time. So And then looking at aspartame, I've also read a number of studies pointing to its addictive properties. And I've had people, I've had members of my family who seemingly have become absolutely addicted to aspartame in chewing gum. Right. And have to right. chew it. Mm-hmm. All the time. And I now go out of my way online to buy a Spartame free gum. But, mm. you know, they would get very, very edgy if they didn't mm. have like a diet soda yes. or, or some Spartame right. gum. Right. Is is that a thing, a Spartame addiction? I don't know that I've heard it called a Spartame addiction in that way. But I will tell you that what they're referring to physiologically is tapping into those cravings. So you crave the Spartame, then you want more. 
and you sort of really can't do without it because now you've kind of become a little bit dependent on it. So which speaks to why you're referring to it as an addiction. And yes, I have seen that and heard about that before where I've seen people who consume 12 Diet Cokes a day or 12 Diet Sodas a day of any kind or any brand because there's certain substance in that Diet Soda that they they really feel their body needs. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just constantly shocked and and appalled at the actions of of you know the big food industry and the giants who often go out of their way to especially with ultra processed foods to make them deliberately addictive yes and i just think to the you know how do you guys sleep at night right you know when you look at what's happening in the world yes anyway stay there uma because when we come back in a moment i do want to ask you more about the specific macro and micronutrients that we need to be more conscious of perhaps as we have this conversation about anxiety many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So back to your own diet, Dr. Uma, when you changed and made tweaks, particularly in relation to your own anxiety, what were the things that you found the most helpful? What I found the most helpful was kind of just cleaning up anything at the time that I may have leaned into that wasn't the healthiest habit. And some of that could have been, um, not I've never been like a diet soda drink or anything like that, but might have been, you know, leaning into a baked potato too often. <laughs> and like, I've got that image of you literally leaning yeah. into a baked potato. Leaning into a baked potato. <laughs> I know um, what you mean. You know? 
you know, that so really thinking, more, being more mindful about really what should I be eating. But one of the things I did, Liz, is I, my grandmother taught me to make a golden a golden chai as a child, you know, the lovely spices and the warming turmeric and the pinch of black pepper. I've drank it for most of my life, but I had kind of, that habit had fallen off. And it's like, you know, I really should be, I really should be making it again. And that morning when I had this kind of epiphany, I was making, I was starting to make it again. And I think that using that and then making my own salads throughout that time, but making them really nutrient dense, adding in, you know, the the healthy fats, lots of cooked vegetables and roasted vegetables. And again, leaning into the spices to make things more delicious. I also made sure that I hydrated well Mm -hmm. and that I was drinking enough water. I started to drink more calming teas like uh, developed a recipe for lavender tea Ooh, nice. I tried passion flower tea you know because lavender usually associate more with the spa moment yes but it turns out that you can make it into a tea, into tea. and Gosh. really did did slightly different things but I really upped my vegetable intake because I knew that the protein um, the sort of the healthy complex carbohydrates from vegetables and the fiber yes along with the healthy proteins I was eating were going to make a difference so I sort of I, I, if, if my diet wasn't that bad, but I really cleaned it up even a little bit more. And it honestly carried me through. My doctors would say to me, we want to know what you're eating because you come in every week and we're just so happy to see that you don't have side effects, you know. Wow, that's um, amazing. And yeah. so it was, it was, it was, it was something I, I feel very fortunate in that way. And I think it's fascinating that you as a, as a clinician, as a medic, you know, a Harvard psychiatrist actually are extolling the virtues of so many of these amazing natural substances and, you know, plants and herbs. I know we've talked before about the power of saffron and how that has been shown. I think there was one study you talked about showing that was as effective as Prozac, which is extraordinary to actually have a a clinical psychiatrist sit and actually say, yeah, you know, you you can take your Prozac, but you can also use saffron, which is a crocus extract. That's correct. And and those studies are fascinating to me. And in fact, people who may not want to use an antidepressant can, in fact, you know, speak to their doctors about a good uh, saffron supplement. Part of the reason is as much as we love to cook with saffron, it's both expensive and we don't use much of it in our food. So with the supplement, it has more of a concentrated form and the studies were done using the supplemental saffron at the higher doses and they actually can be effective for anxiety and mood. So these are powerful tools that I feel you know, Liz, uh, uh, medications and psychotropic medications in mental health have saved the lives of some of my patients. But I also have the breadth of experience to know it's not the only tool they need in their toolkit. Some people can, in fact, try different supplements or different foods. Mm. I am a food first person, but, you know, try different foods to try to um, improve how they're feeling, to calm their mind, to feel less anxious, to up their mood. And it is quite powerful when you see it in practice. Absolutely. And I know that you're very much involved with Karma Assist, with Tim Samuels, a good good friend of mine too, and fascinating mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to be involved in those formulations. And in fact, funny enough, we had on the show last week, Trini, 
who's got this brilliant beauty brand, um, Trini London. And we were talking about the supplements that she takes to help sleep. We were talking about perimenopause and menopausal sleep. Wow. And she was saying, oh, you know, I, I, I take mm-hmm. this supplement mm-hmm. and it's got, you know, Montmorency cherry and like calming things. And it's it's like karma, karma. And I said, I know which one. That's Karma Assist. And, and you know, I've, I've worked with, with you guys on that. Oh, I think wow. it's, it's brilliant. And yeah, in yeah. fact, you know, I have somebody yeah. in my family who very much relies on the on the saffron supplement as well for for anxiety and wow, exactly for that yeah, absolutely something else I'd like to to ask you about here you talked about water you know increasing your hydration how important is hydration for the brain it's extremely important people overlook just sipping on water sipping on a on a on a plain tea um, which can also help to some extent with hydration but I want people to mostly go towards water if someone is dehydrated they can appear very anxious I've even seen it precipitate panic attacks in some of my patients so hydration is incredibly important not only for different physiological reactions in the body it's important for homeostasis in the body and keeping ourselves hydrated can actually fend off certain mental health symptoms. There was an even a study that showed that dehydration can lead to depression. So I want people to just do the easy things, Liz. You know, it's not so hard to make sure that you're encouraging yourself to drink water mm. during the day, whether you work from home or you're back at the office, whatever that is. You know, I'd, I'd love to carry a sustainable water bottle with me. And I, I now we have a lot of great little water filling stations with filtered water and try to do that on the go because it's one way to remind myself I've got to get through four rounds of this bottle for the day or whatever it is, you know, whatever you kind of technically measure for yourself. I, I find on days that I'm good about my water, yeah. I feel better. No, you're, you know, you're so. absolutely right. I mean, do you just drink plain water? I've become a, a fan of electrolytes in my water over the last of 12 months or so, and I do find that they make yeah. a difference to me. I do a little bit of both. So I like plain water, but I make sure that, you know, uh, a few times a week I have some electrolytes just to make sure that I'm I'm getting them. And, you know, for, for other uh, micronutrients, I'm much more of a test, don't guess kind of person. Okay. Um, like a lot of, it turns out a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans may be low in magnesium, so I will often suggest people have their GPs check that type of thing. But I think electrolytes are great. Um, and especially for someone who's active, having some, you know, a few times a week is a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to have it as my first glass of the day. And, you know, for those of you who are not familiar, it tends to be sort of sodium, potassium, magnesium, just in, in trace amounts in water, which seems to be more hydrating somehow. Yes, yes. And it replenishes your stores in your body. Mm. You talk there about micronutrients, in particular, things like magnesium. Which ones should we be particularly mindful of when we're actually thinking about anxiety? So one of the ones that I people don't realize that we may be lacking is actually iron. It turns out that a lot of women and children may actually be deficient in iron. So it's one that we definitely want to keep an eye on and make sure that we are not deficient in. The other one I mentioned is magnesium. With magnesium, you know, we again want to make sure that we check to see that that you have enough of it. Another important one, especially where we live in the northeast of America, many people may be deficient in vitamin D. So that's another important one to check. The B vitamins as a whole are hugely important in mental health. 
they are one of the most interactive vitamins that we need. So always checking that you have enough things like vitamin B12 and your other B vitamins is important, especially say if you have a plant-based diet and you don't consume animal products, making sure you get uh, vitamin B12 from nutritional yeast and other sources or supplement from your doctor uh, are important. I think that that is really a very, very good reminder. And it, it is very interesting, particularly for women being iron deficient, particularly those women who are having periods, they're losing a lot of blood, you know, each month, and that is reducing our iron stores. And, you know, there seems to be this war against red meat. I mean, I'm, I'm a big red meat eater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the reasons that I eat it, you know, grass fed, I always look for like pastured grazed meat, mm-hmm. which here in the UK is super easy because the majority of our beef and lamb, for example, are just raised on pasture, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that it is full of absorbable hame iron. And I seriously worry about, you know, particularly vegans and plant-based who who are just foregoing that. I'm thinking, where are you getting your absorbable iron from? Right. Where do you get your energy from? You know, it's it's. I, I I don't know what to suggest for these guys. Right, and it's a challenge. And I think that you know, individuals who are vegan or plant-based may push back and say, well, you know, I get my nutrients here and there, and they will explain it. But I do feel that it's important for them and for all of us to understand that iron is such an important. A micronutrient. Mm. And so many children, in fact, in children, teens, and adolescents, iron deficiency is associated and linked to anxiety. So it's something that, you know, we should be aware of. And if you don't consume, you know, red meat or other sources of animal protein that will give you the uh, heme iron, you know, you, you definitely want to be finding sources that you can obtain it and, and making sure that you have adequate iron supplies because it could be related to feeling more anxious. So I, I, I agree. There are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, sort of food wars out there. And I don't necessarily know that they're healthy for everyone, you know. Interesting. And I'd like to pick up on something that you said actually earlier, talking about fast food, uh, often using the cheapest, often reused seed oils, oils which is used for frying, you know, anything Mm -hmm. that's fried, you know, Mm -hmm. fries, Mm -hmm. obviously, but, you know, Mm -hmm. so much that's used in, in, you know, McDonald takeaways and all of that. I mean, it's just really, really tricky uh, conversation. We're hearing more about seed oils being pro-inflammatory, causing that inflammation. What's your take as a psychiatrist working with food, looking particularly at seed oils and their effect on the brain? So the, unfortunately, a lot of these highly processed vegetable and seed oils, you know, they, they might be some exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, especially the ones that are used in fast food restaurants and they're reused, are cost-effective, but they are pro-inflammatory and they really drive inflammation in the body and the brain. So when they cause, going back to that gut-brain connection, when they cause inflammation in the gut, that leads to inflammation in the brain. And so these are not our best choices. And if you're eating a fast food diet all the time, you are going to be setting yourself up for inflammation. And that's one of the reasons. Very interesting. So you would use something like olive oil, coconut oil, my, ghee. Yes, I mean, what's exactly. your preferred so my, choice? My favorite are, you know, extra virgin olive oil uh, and olive oil for sort of cold preparation, salad dressings. I cook with avocado oil if I'm using heat. I love ghee and, you know, I love a little bit of butter, a touch of coconut oil. So I'm happy with using any one of those. But I, if I'm cooking, I usually use avocado oil. Expensive though, hey? It, it is expensive. It is expensive. And, you know, I think that uh, that's a, it, it 
may not be something that everyone can use, but you know, in terms of my preference, it's it's certainly what I I turn to. I I only tend to have olive oil actually mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. the kitchen, and I I mean I don't often fry, but you know if I do, then I'm I'm using that. And the studies that I've seen have shown it to be pretty heat stable. And the polyphenols in it, especially like high phenolic olive oil, like some of the Greek olive oils are incredibly high in vitamin E, which seems to have a, a protective quality when you heat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it tastes good. Well, yeah, olive oil like tastes it. delicious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so talking about food, I'm going to do a quick fire at you with a few things just to get your take, hoping you say that they're good, they're positive, but okay. you know, please say if, uh, if, that's, if that's not right, because we often hear them mooted as having you know, particularly miraculous qualities. Okay, dark chocolate. Yes? Uh, yes. Extra dark natural chocolate. Excellent. Good. Okay, that's a tick. Broccoli. Excellent. Good. Blueberries. Um, excellent. Oh, we're doing well. I have a really good tick list here. I mean, I've, I've heard blueberries described as kind of one of the few true superfoods, mm. I guess, with the anthocyanins in mm-hmm. the in the dark mm-hmm. purpley color of the coating. But, yeah. you know, any study I see to do with blueberries, frankly, is just it kind of seems to knock it out the park compared to other fruit. It, it is definitely one of my favorites. OK, so, OK, let's get on to something perhaps a little bit more controversial. Red wine. What's your view on that? So I think that there's a, a place for alcohol in moderation because more people than not do consume Good. alcohol. Uh, seriously, uh-huh. I think that, you know, a lot of doctors take a very hard and fast stance and that we should never consume alcohol. I'd rather say have it in moderation. Certainly studies have shown that the resveratrol and polyphenols are helpful, but that doesn't mean we should, you know, down a, down, down no. a bottle. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. So in moderation and, you know, a perfectly fine as part of your regular balanced diet. Mm, cool. And then sort of non-alcoholic drinks, things like coffee. There's been a lot of chat recently about mm-hmm. some of the sort of newly highlighted health benefits for coffee. Are you, yeah. are you a coffee fan? I'm a coffee fan. One of my professors at Harvard actually wrote a book on the positive benefits of coffee, Dr. Uh, Sanjeev Chopra. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a hepatologist and often will tout the benefits of coffee. Coffee is rich in, in plant polyphenols, but it's usually the caffeine that gets people in trouble. So I like to consume coffee. I have it early in the day because it can affect my sleep if I have it too late. Mm-hmm. And I believe in a clean cup of coffee, Liz. And what I mean by that is not the typical American additions we add to our beverages here, right. you know, but uh, to make them ultra sweet and ultra delicious, but they're not usually the healthiest. So I say, you know, either black coffee or something with, you know, I, I um, have a recipe in my book for hemp milk because it actually has a really creamy Ooh. texture. Um, and I kind of, I have grown accustomed to it. I make it in small batches. So something, something simple. Okay. You can make hemp milk. I've, yes. I've never actually heard of that. How Talk us through how you would make your own hemp milk. So I developed this recipe in the book where I often use hemp seeds in my, in an occasional smoothie or other recipes. But I decided that I like to create small amounts of, of milk for when I, when I use it. I like almond milk, but I found that if you, you don't, necessarily have the recipes in the book but you don't have to soak the hemp seeds you basically blend it there's a ratio with water and sometimes depending on the type of of hemp seeds you have you might need to strain it um, so that you get out any little flecks but it ends up being really creamy and I quite like the flavor so I use it in a, in a lot of things and I make a small amount each week so that I have enough uh, for that week and and uh, can replenish it I'm 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 going to try that and hemp 
I think is also, correct me if I'm wrong, possibly a source of phytoestrogens, and I'm sure has some other nutritional benefits around it too. For me, you know, the biggest thing about about the um, the hemp seeds and hemp milk, they also have the short chain omegas, the ALA, and so it, I just feel it's a it's it's adding. It has several nutrients, but it's one adding of the things brain. that I like to add yeah. back to uh, to now. We do know that the short chain omegas are not as effective as the ones that you obtain from, say, salmon. Um, but for me, it's just adding the more times that I can add in something nutritious. I just feel I feel better. You know, I feel I feel better if I'm doing that. So uh, it's all about feeling better. And I think let's end, especially as we're in this sort of festive mode at the moment at this time of year. Let's finish by throwing an anti-anxiety foods dinner party for our family and our <laughs> friends, what dishes would you suggest that we make for mm-hmm. our guests? Well, you know, I would, uh, if people consume um, meats, maybe it, maybe a, a maybe turkey, turkey or salmon, <laughs> turkey yeah. or salmon would be good options. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are plant-based, I would say lean into the non, uh, the organic non-GMO tofu and then have tons of those delicious vegetables. I love mm-hmm. the uh, cruciferous vegetables, the purple sprouting broccoli on my book the uh, cauliflower, the cabbage, the Brussels sprouts, but also the leafy greens. You know, there's so many delicious side dishes that you can make with all these. In my first book, I had a delicious recipe for miso glazed sweet potatoes, which gives you miso, which is fermented, and a little a sweet potato discs and it caramelizes beautifully oh um gosh, so that's a lovely hungry. side dish to add yeah. so <laughs> i would lean into the vegetables and then choose your great clean proteins excellent and presumably all washed down with a nice glass of high quality red wine and finished with a dark chocolate truffle. <laughs> uh, yes and i have actually a recipe for chocolate <laughs> mousse in the book as well so i kind of changed up how i made it and so you know that's all or a piece of dark chocolate would be my go-to sometimes as well so definitely oh wonderful well i hope one day uma that we can share that meal together i hope so but in the meantime thank you so much for being with us it's always such a great pleasure to talk to you thank you so much for your time thanks liz it was lovely to chat Well, how fascinating was that chat? And I think it's so empowering that we do have so much power over calming our own minds and our bodies. You know, nobody else decides what we put on our fork. And that is hugely empowering. We decide. We make that choice. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much, Uma. And if you want to understand more about nutrition as the building blocks of our brains, both in childhood and adulthood, do listen back to my episode with Kimberly Wilson. Also absolutely fascinating. Well, would you like to listen to that episode ad free, I wonder? Well, you can. Just subscribe to the Lizard Wellbeing Show Plus for a very small monthly fee on Apple Podcasts. Not only will that be ad free, but you also get early access to all the episodes too. Well, do you notice a difference in your mental health depending on what you've been eating? drinking. Well, let's carry on this conversation on Instagram at Lizelle Wellbeing. And if you want, you can find me personally. I am at Lizelle Me. Okay, until next week, stepping into a new year. Have a fabulous New Year's Eve and we'll chat in 2024. Bye-bye.
The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.